Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Here at William Hill, you'll find pre-game and in-play cricket odds on loads of competitions. From test matches to one-day internationals, T20s and domestic cricket, we've got everything covered. Visit WilliamHill.com 18 plus. Please gamble responsibly. William Hill. It's who you play with. Hello and welcome to season four of Middle Please Umpire. I'm Miles Jupp and we are very excited to be back. Uh, we've got some great guests coming your way over the next couple of months. First of all, I need to say a big thanks to our new sponsor, Step One Underwear, who are supporting season four of the podcast. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do this without our sponsors and I confirm that their products are super comfy as well. Quite a silky feel actually. Now, to kick off this series, uh, we thought that it was high time that we actually got together in person to record an episode, and then we thought, let's get an audience there to join us. So this episode, episode one, is all about uh, when Woody came to Monmouth Cricket Club, the club that I occasionally play for, and discussed his journey from club cricket to the World Cup to the Ashes, and more besides, uh, as well as more recent events that definitely needed airing now that he wasn't under anaesthesia. Here's how it went. Ladies and gentlemen, hello. Welcome to Middle Please Umpire Live. Uh, I'm Miles Jupp. Uh, it's such a great pleasure to introduce our guest tonight. It's strange to say guest because in this podcast he is my co-host, but uh, as I brought him all the way to Wales onto my patch, uh, I felt it was important to give him uh, a bit of a build-up. Uh, arguably unfair on me, but this is a man who's very used to travelling to a different country only to sit on his backside while other people do all the hard work. Um, <laughs> We are delighted he can be with us. Uh, it was touch and go for a bit, but now that Anderson and Broad have been recalled, uh, it turns out for the next few years, he is only too available. Um, I know that he's delighted to be here. He's already said to me how charming he finds the town, but as he's from Ashington in Northumberland, uh, one can surmise he's happy to be anywhere that isn't coated in a thick layer of soot and socio-political resentment. Now, what... <laughs> What can I say about this man? Uh, a man with no fewer than 82 test wickets, uh, a fact that leaves us all lost for words, other than possibly to remark that we never knew uh, there were that many Bangladeshi tailenders out there. Um, <laughs> since... <laughs> since 2000... Oh, God, I hope I'm bullet you. <laughs> since 2011, he's played for Durham, uh, and you know the old saying, you can take the boy out of Durham, but you'll have to spend a lot of time apologising to everyone he meets and saying, I'm so sorry, he's from Durham. Um, <laughs> he's a man who encapsulates the best of his region, uh, having as he does the sunny outlook of Jimmy Nail and the matinee idle good looks of Peter Beardsley. Um, <laughs> From these humble origins, he's shown what's possible, having carved out a career that has seen him, seen him lie in agony on physios' tables the world over. Uh, on the subject of his impressive physical fitness, uh, he's asked could everyone entering or leaving refrain from slamming doors too abruptly uh, in case the backdraft blows off a bicep. Um, 
He's a man faster, who's... faster, faster, <laughs> faster. He's a man whose leadership skills uh, in the last few weeks saw him hotly tipped for the England captaincy by no fewer than no major figures in the game or media. Uh, I kept checking, scrolling away, not a sausage. Um, but wonderful to host a podcast with him. Uh, you can do one of these things and you get through the first and you think not much is happening, might as well hand over to Mark. Uh, and that is very much the story of this man's life. So we are... Genuinely delighted to have got him here, uh, having equaled his IPL reserve price of £10 and a jar of Bisto. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, of Durham in England, with a top speed of 96.3 miles an hour, the answer to the question, what do hot coffee cups do to sideboards? Mark Wood! <laughs> thank you, Miles. My pleasure. Mark, thank you. Yeah. I... Obviously, that was a little cheeky, Mark, but just to set the ball, how, how are you, firstly? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, coming, on, coming on nicely. Just started bowling this week, so um, in a happy, happier place. Uh, the happiest place I've seen you recently was just video footage of you coming round from your operation while you're still <laughs> under the influence of what, quite powerful drugs, mm. uh, which are a very vulnerable choice to do. What was, can you remember any of the things that you shouted through your sort of druggy kind of haze? I remember the lollipop. Lollipop, and the reason I kept saying that was because I had a really dry throat. So I think when I was under the drugs, it was like I was saying things and then thinking them after. So I would just blurt it out and think, I've just said that. And the reason I kept saying lollipop was because my throat was so dry that I was thinking, if I had a lollipop here, my throat wouldn't be as dry. But bizarrely, why that came out <laughs> while I was under that's not the first time that I've been under that. So that the, obviously, the many operations that I've had, the England physio comes with me every time. And then that time he said, right, this time I'm going to video you when you come out. Is that all right? I said, yeah. The time before, which he's videoed us, which I didn't put on Instagram, I was just as bad with apparently trying to say, the, and he says, look, I'll, I'll kiss your neck and stuff. I mean, I don't know who he was, <laughs> but I don't remember any of it. I mean, half that stuff that I said there, I mean, the Ibiza chilled and stuff like that, I don't remember any of that. There's a lovely moment when you just have they cut my arm off? <laughs> which yeah. is an extraordinary sweet thing and then you go I'll still bowl fast anyway Yeah, which is some <laughs> example of just how sentient you can be at times um, when you put your mind to it I suppose now look, quite quite a, a, a big week for English cricket uh, there's a new England captain Yep, uh, Ben Stokes you'll have known how many years have you known Ben Stokes for? Ben Andrew Stokes since he was about 15 I was about 16 he's a year below me so we both joined the academy he was um, obviously come across from Cumbria Um Someone that is very was very different then in terms of personality, what he is now. Um, he's a lot more. He speaks really well in the group. Um, has these amazing leadership qualities that he sort of had during his cricket. But his cricket sort of the leadership side was always there. The way he trained, the way that he he would carry himself. You'd, you'd want to follow that act. Mm -hmm. But actually, him as a person, I think he's developed a lot more. I mean, as a kid, he more more likely if anyone said, "Oh, would he speak in a group?" He'd probably just say. F off, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. Whereas now, he hands caps out. He, we do this lovely thing where, if you play for England, um, obviously you get a test cap, but you also get a, a pin as well. So Joe Root brought that in where, and um, we wear like, um, if you wear a suit to travel in, or if you have to wear your polo shirt, you, you can join this little pin on. It's beautiful engraved with your number on and stuff. And Stokes, he's actually done a few of them. Phone as well. number or cap number? <laughs> cap number, and then like, like sort of lost cat. Essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's it. <laughs> This and is Mark Wood. If you find him, this is the number of his vet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Stokes, he's done that a few times, and the way he speaks now and the way he carries himself is definitely, um, he's more rounded as a person. I think he, I think it's a good time for him to, to well, do it. Well, like as a, you know, cricket fans, as we uh, all are, obviously, you know, the, the sort of Ben Stokes that we've seen over the years, there's elements of it that you think, gosh, that's quite frightening to put that man in charge. And yet where he's got to in the last couple of years, you think he is in a place where you think that, of course, that is the that is the. He's been through man. everything, hasn't he, really, when you think about it, like all the, not just, you know, cricket as well as in his life. Um, there's been a lot of big highs and lows throughout, you know, it's not just little things that happen. I mean, one of those things might not happen to one player during their whole career. And I'm talking about just on the field, never mind off the field. And he's been through so many already. So it's almost a bit weird, I guess, that um, the, the captaincy is just another one of those things that doesn't actually seem that big in terms of other stuff that he's been through. So I think um, I, I do feel sorry for Joe. I think it's worth saying that. Like, personally, I know it might seem like we're saying the right thing or giving the right answer, but I, I actually did really well under Joe's captaincy myself. Um, all my five fans came under Joe. He gave us an opportunity when 
you know, with injury and stuff, someone quite could have quite easily said, oh, that's enough. But he stuck with us and, and gives a clear plan. And um, I feel like in a way, especially after Australia or in the dressing room atmosphere, I, f- I felt like we let him down quite a bit because he was doing so much behind the scenes that people don't see. Um, you know, getting coaches, trying to change training. He was staying behind when I was batting in the nets and he would stay behind and work on my batting with me after having his net. Um, he, do, he was doing so much with trying to get it right, the culture of the team. Um, he was getting people in to do sessions and everything he could to try and improve the results, but it just wasn't happening. Um, I but think. Does that mean that now, though, he'll be sort of man out of. Uh, he himself must feel kind of relieved, and on yeah. his behalf, do you not feel a sort of slight sense of relief? No, I'm happy. I'm happy that he's, that you know, he's made the decision. I'm happy that. Because, you know, if it's affecting. There must be a point where it's affecting his. Um, or is affecting him as a person behind the scenes at home or with his family, and then that's no good. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't want that to happen to him. So I think I'm happy from that side of things, but I'm disappointed because he, he really was, you know, I did believe in him. I believed that he would turn it around. But it's exciting now having Stokesy. I think he'll do a great job. The only thing I will say with, with Stokesy is, is like when we've had all rounders before and people say, or oh, um, it didn't work for both of them, it didn't work for front off. Stokesy character-wise, might be totally different to them. I don't, yeah. I don't know them, but from my outlook towards Stokes, he would be, he's a very caring person as well. He has this hard outer shell, and he's a bit of a like tough guy and never give up on the field and all that kind of things. But actually, he cares about people as well. And like behind the scenes, he'll, he sticks up for people, puts his arm around them, um, has incredible loyalty. So... Um, also, Flintoff, people sort of have a go at his captaincy, but it didn't start badly. It started, you know, he captained England at short notice in, you know, won test matches, he won a test in injury, he drew a series, he, you know, and he was sort of tactically sound. It just, I don't yeah. think he gelled with Fletcher or whatever. Talking of which, now, of course, there's a new, uh, new sort of. Do you think of we could have done it? Captain Vice, me and you. you admit, yes, yes, I think you're the sort You'd of. You'd have had it done the interviews. Uh, I, no, no, no. That's what people people love your media, your sort of seemingly untrained media aspects. <laughs> I think people would be. Great enough. I don't think there's enough children's limericks sung during um, professional, <laughs> professional sporting interviews. I think that's good. Um, you seem to be asking a lot of questions about my cricket, but what, what about my whistling? Uh, you know, you, you sort of add a different angle to it. Um, I would serve as, yeah, I'd have to serve as vice captain under you. But also now you've got Rob Key, again, a sort of slight man of the people, who has walked away from, I think we can all agree, an unbelievably cushy job <laughs> to do something incredibly difficult. That, that uh, means there is a space, though, Miles. <laughs> there is. Well, I, I think Gower should ring back up and go, uh, hello, guys, I'm still <laughs> fucking here. Um, uh, I think friend of the podcast, I'm sure that's acceptable. Um, but, I, you know, because Key, that's a difficult job he's doing, and also it's not, it's not like being on Sky. It's not like when you don't know what to do, you can suddenly sort of take the piss out of someone else's golf handicap. I mean, he's got to work sort of all the time, hasn't he? Yeah, it lies at his door a little bit, doesn't it, now, like getting it right. So, oh, there's problems with the county system. There's problems with the head coach. We haven't got a captain. So it's sort of all been laid bare at his door when he's come in. Um, again, I can only give from my experience of Australia or, or times before, um, you know, Chris Silverwood and Ashley Giles did work hard behind the scenes. It's, you know, a lot of the time, you know, these people that can, in the in the headlines can, can take the flack. But as players, I think we've got... A lot of sort of, especially in the test matches, not the one deals, but the test matches, we've probably got more to look at, you know, ourselves as individuals and and say why didn't it go right? There's lessons that have to be learned instead of just seeing the same thing over and over again. And oh, we're, we're trying to get better here and that. I, I think sometimes, or what we did sometimes, and we had a chat in the West Indies uh, where all of the players were together and it was a player-led discussion. And my was, that, po- was that in the physio's room so that you could yes, take, yes, so that yes, you so could take part? Yes, 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 yes. Just in case Woody wants to say something, we yeah, probably yeah. better... Yeah, uh, they unveiled my uh, <laughs> <laughs> bandage just so <laughs> I could speak. Um, Hold now, a bit of cotton, you know, cotton wool over his mouth, see if he's breathing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, um, he said that we sort of had that discussion and, and my thing was we've got to stop trying to make excuses. Like, yeah. oh, it has been hard with COVID. Oh, we, we've, we've had to travel in our bubbles. We've got to do this, we've got to do that. But at some point, we've got to say, look, if we keep making excuses... Yeah, like it's it's actually it gives us a way out or a comfort zone of why we're not performing. Yeah. We need to stand up more as individuals and say, "Look, this is why we're not doing well. How can we get better? And what we're going to train or, or do to get better instead of just, oh well, the net facilities aren't very good. Oh, we've had COVID. Oh, the, um, there's too much traveling. Whatever the excuse may be, I think that then breeds in negativity, which then doesn't allow you to then 
move on. You know, you, you're a World Cup winner. Uh, you, you have won Ashes Series in, in, historically. Um, let's talk about how it started for you then. Yeah. Because obviously, this, mostly, how many people here are members of or play for Monmouth Cricket Club? Do you know what? This is an audio-based media. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> right. I don't, I don't know how good these microphones are, but listening at home, you must have heard a lot of hands being raised there. You're, you are here as part of the atmosphere, so you're welcome to make as much appropriate noise as like, by way of, by way of cheer or applause. Whistle? What about whistle? By way of whistle? Let's keep it... By way of a whistle, how many... <laughs> <laughs> By way of whistle, whistling, how many people here are involved with or play for uh, Monmouth Cricket Club? Yeah, yeah quite hard to tell. Um, <laughs> I would say you, so Ashington is your yep. your club, and you're yep. still you, you know you're still heavily involved in that. Yeah, yeah, still go whenever I've got time off or whenever I can. Yeah, still train. I'm training that tomorrow, so yeah, still got I still go up there. So descri- describe Ashington Cricket Club to us, and if Mark says anything about Ashington that reminds you of our own cricket club, either whistle or cheer. And if he says something that sounds baffling and not representative of our club, make a series of angry, rum- angry rumbling noises, I think. So the stumps are made of gold, <laughs> the clubhouses. <laughs> yeah, I no. think I've made a rod for my own back. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. Um, we mainly focus on football. Uh, all these things, yeah. No, so a community club right in the heart of the town. Um, it's something that, you know, I used to live 50 yards down, down the road. I used to walk up and there was a brick f- uh, fence around, lob my bag over the fence and jump in for training and stuff. Um, we used to have some practice pitches. Um, alongside the square, the practice pitch would be on the edge. We've now got some artificials and stuff. Um, and the club's just one, it's for as long as I can remember, even on the photos, it's been the clubhouse has been the way it's been. The furniture hasn't changed that much, um, <laughs> the pictures haven't changed that much. I mean, the, every, every time you see someone that either played in the 80s, the 70s, or the 60s, they were the best team that everyone's ever seen. Um, <laughs> nobody else had done anything else. Um, but it's it's a a place that I, th- I feel is very special, um, which I'm sure anybody who has their own cricket club, it's special to them. That's my special club. It's where my friends, my family played. Um, and it's like a sort of community spirit where people will go for a, for a drink or um, it's sort of like a, I guess like its own little family in the fact that when you go up there, you know, you know everybody, you feel, I guess, a safe, a safe kind of place. Um, and, and one that... Um, is very competitive. It's a decent side, um, but I would say it brings you back down to earth pretty quickly. That place, if you if you ever get ahead of yourself, or I mean, the aim is always to win, but it's always to have fun and and, and try and um, look out for each other. So, but that is where you learn your cricket, so not at school. It, it, no, no, Ashton Cricket Club, Club was where I learned school. Um, my school, Ashton High School, had tabs burnt out on the practice wicket, um, bits of it roughed up. <laughs> And the lads that would play would all wear black socks, and you'd have to share boxes and bats and stuff like that. So the school team wasn't wasn't <laughs> great, um, but the the local cricket club was where everybody, like my friends and stuff, would go. I remember, like as a 15, 16 year old, I'd have my sort of GCSEs and stuff. Um, and as soon as like anything was finished, a class or an exam or um, time to revise, I just wanted to go to the cricket club. So we would run up the club, would set up the net on the side, um, four or five of us. And then we, we used to do loads of daft stuff. We had a cannon that used to fire tennis balls and we thought, oh, if we can put it as close as we can to each other's faces, it'll be like facing an international fastballer until it bust my mate Chris Watson's nose. And then we, we had to stop that pretty quickly. So um, just great times. That, that was somewhere that w- I would always train and any kids coming through, especially here at Monmouth or anything, the, the thing that I would always tell people is practice, practice, practice. No matter what it is, um, have fun, but make sure you practice because... I did loads of that when I was a kid and thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think that's what that's what made me better. So, what age would you have been? When, maybe not you, because you're too modest to say. But the point at which, like other people say at the club or your family, noticed that you were clearly um, sort of quite a bit better than other people. I'm well, I had a uh, had a growth spurt um, around sixteen. Oh, when, when was that? <laughs> around sixteen, seventeen. <laughs> I was a real small kid, a batsman who bowled little swingers, and I had a growth spurt, and I put on a yard of pace. I don't know my, my my actions always been quite similar. Um, and out of that, around that time, I remember my mate um, coming up to me in a match and saying, um, "This uh, Woody, this is quick." And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, for one, I'm a short leg, um, and two, the keepers miles back and they're, they're jumping around a little bit." So I was sort of like taken aback by a little bit because I, you know, I was always just a little swing bowler, 
And then when you see people reacting differently at the other end, bats, when you, you get a bit excited, don't you? I was like, wow, this is a bit different. I, I've no idea. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I, I was charging in, and it was, it was amazing. Um, so I remember that was probably the first time where I thought, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is something I could do, do well. But it was... Sorry. Miles, Jesus. How unprofessional well, is that? Do you know what? Can you just tell a couple of anecdotes? I've got a delivery. To get. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there. That's a very important alarm. That um, Rob Key was it? Yeah, that's Rob Key. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What so, were we even talking about before you? Before, before my you thing went off. Um, it was talking about you being you. You were describing what it was like to be making people jump around. Oh yeah, yeah. About the importance of practice. But I, I suppose yep. that that thing then, how do you get from there? You, you know, you're not built. Yeah, yeah. Shall we say naturally for speed? So what? You, well, I didn't what think you I'd play is, for. I didn't think I'd go any further than that. I thought you know at the time I was a junior who was playing second team, first team, mainly first team actually as a batter more than the bowler. But then when, I, when that started to click a bit, I thought, you know what, I could be a good first team cricketer here. I could hold my own, I can do this, I can do that. And then Durham Academy came calling. I was thinking, oh, well, I'll give that a go. And I did really well in my first but game. But each time are you surprised? Is it, yeah, so you, your belief's not coming from within there. Someone says, do you know, you're, um, you're very, have you noticed that you're very... No, you know, a bit of both. Like, I always had belief in myself that I, that I could do well and wanted to do well, but I never truly believed that I could get the level of standard that I did. Um, so when I played for Ashton first team, it was like, well, I'll never play for the academy. And then you, you get involved in the academy thing. Actually, I can do just as well as these guys. Why, why can't I play for the academy? You think, again, the second team, oh, I'm playing with like Neil Colleen and Ben Harmison and people who I'd looked up to, um, Mitchell Clayton, people like this. And then you get to the first team and playing with Graham Onions and Liam Plunkett. And you're thinking, wow, like I'm playing with superstars here. But then you hold your own, or you do well, and you think, well, actually, I can mix it with these guys. And, and so, perform. at that point, did you start to sort of? Well, no, no, it's it's difficult to describe because I always believed in myself. I think if you if you if you're going to be a professional cricketer, you've got to believe in yourself. So I had a fair amount of belief. It was just more, I guess, that I held these guys on a pedestal, or you think that they're so much better than you. And I think a little bit from my upbringing in Ashton is that, like I mentioned, they pull you down if you get too high. So you're always trying to like. Uh, like I'm not as good as them or um, I'll give it my best shot and I'll try it. I'll give it everything I've got but I don't know if my talent will get us through it's more the hard work and the the yeah that, that side of things that will make us but also there. from your club you know yeah. you've got Steve Harmison yeah. you know that list that came out in the Ashes which was like the 20 fastest spells recorded in test cricket yeah. ever, since you know since 2006 yeah and all but all but one of them was two boys from Ashton yeah Crazy I think fun. I had 18 out of the 20 I think the other was Conway. Monmouth but you know that, that, things like that surely that gives you a reason to believe yeah yeah absolutely so, uh, like seeing Harmy when Harmy had played for England he, that was obviously a massive inspiration you know when he would come up with a kit bag and everybody would get excited and would be watching him on the TV I'm, I'll definitely remember um, Edgebass in 2005 when he gets the wicket we were all in Ashton Cricket Club like the clubhouse the lounge watching it on a tiny TV in the corner and um, the whole place erupted, of course, when he got the wicket. And you feel a sense of pride because this guy is from your club. And it's such, such a, so bizarre, really, when you think that me and Harmy have come from there. Obviously, Ben Harmison's done well. There was a guy called John Inchmore who played for Worcester. He played professional cricket. He was from Ashton. We've had footballers, Jackie Milburn, Bobby Charlton, Jackie Charlton. And this is a mining town in the northeast of England. It's like 30,000 people. So it's not a massive place. And to think that all these sportsmen have come from there, is, I mean... You question what's in the water a little bit, like, but uh, <laughs> it, it's great that we could produce so many. I think it's just that sport means everything to people up there. It's a, like I mentioned, the tight knit community. You get, nothing's given to you. You have to work really hard, um, and I think that's where it stems from. Because the uh, another aspect of that is you watching in the clubhouse, two thousand five, Harmison taking that final look at Edgebaston. It's inspirational, a, a isn't decade, it? But a decade later, you're making your own test. That's degree. right, and something which I never thought that would happen. Um, and it didn't go particularly well the first day. Actually, a bit like, um, I guess, doing this podcast, we're having people here. I could take in everybody sat here and be thinking about them, watching me or what I'm saying. And when I was in that first game, that's exactly what I was doing. Oh, my God, there's seven or eight cameras here. I look at all the crowd, what they're going to be thinking about my ball and how am I going to be feeling? Um, what do the opposition think? What do the umpires think? Do they think I'm shite? Like, what, what am I... That, that's what I was... That's what I was... And you, I took so much in. Is that why had to bring in neutral umpires? Yeah. I was at... You know, I'm at Lords. Oh, my God, I'm playing at the home of cricket. And my parents, yeah, they've got tickets where about to so sit in the crowd. There's all these things on their debut. It's like a, a bit of like an emotional roller coaster. 
But then the second day, I sort of got through that. And the second day, I remember actually Harmy texted on the night time, and all he didn't say well done or that was bad or anything like that. He just put the stumps don't move. And then the next day, I thought actually he's right. I'm focusing on too much stuff. So the next day, I went to practice in the morning and stuff, and I automatically felt a bit more relaxed, um, and and took in a lot less. So I think, I mean, now it's just playing. It's just like playing for for Ashton or Durham, or it's it's the same. But that first game definitely felt so weird. Like when you mentioned like watching Harmy on the telly and then thinking that was me. Yeah. It was almost like I couldn't believe like some there's been people have come up with since and said, Oh, um, my son, he tries to bowl like you, or he does the step back when I first got on the team. I was like, Why? Like <laughs> but you just don't see yourself in that way. But how does that come then? Getting getting picked for England or whatever, is it yep. does it come out of nowhere? Is there a kind of because who's uh, the chairman of selectors then? Who would it be? Uh I don't Greg know. Gravney or someone like that, uh, and they what? They take you to a Nando's and they say, <laughs> "Not quite." We, we think you're special. By the way, it's free refills. Um, <laughs> no, not quite. Not, not just drinks, also the frozen yogurts. Uh, that's how much we rate you. You know, is it, take the sign and say, "This is coming." Well, Does I was, it come I was, out of no, nowhere? I was picked for the Lions in South Africa, and, I, and it was a tough tour. One with Trot, um, Plunkett, um, other people like that, and I was part of that group and did really well. Um, didn't necessarily get five wickets and stuff, but it was really good batting conditions and I'd held my own and, and looked like one of my most threatening bowlers. Um, I then came home and there was nothing between that and the West Indies tour. Because it was like the English season hadn't started yet. So then I was picked on the West Indies tour. I'm guessing for them to say what I was like as a person and amongst the group. Um, because... I was realistically when I look at that squad, I was never really going to play. It was three tests, um, and then when we get the first home test of the summer, it's New Zealand, and that's when I that's when yeah. I made my debut. So I think Woke, Chris Wokes got injured, and then that was my my way in. It's interesting. You think they they wanted to have a look not just not really at your cricket per se, but at your sort of personality. I mean, do you think that they'd heard? <laughs> I mean, were they worried? Do you think? Was <laughs> that Because well, I was talking to Vish recently, you've been collaborating with, and he was saying, you know, one of the things that people that have spoken to him have said is about the way that you have an ability to sort of lift the dressing room when perhaps things aren't going sort of terribly well. By doing what? Um, just what they draw on you when you're asleep. You've got no idea <laughs> what's going on. No, just that kind of you. I think for like sports people, especially this era, you are there, there's something slightly sort of. You're, you're not like everyone uh, else, is that what I think? You're willing to have a nice, you, you know, you're, you're kind of slightly more down to earth. There's not, dare I say, oh, sort of. Down to earth's good. I thought you were going to go with a different word. I don't know if that one would be. That's, you know, when you see clips of you singing songs to commentators or the podcast episode we did where you whistled the entirety of the University Challenge theme tune and things like that. <laughs> this, you know, that's not, you know. Note I, for note. Yeah, that's not, I mean, I'm not describing Jonathan Trott, am I? I'm not describing yeah. sort of Ian Bell or whatever. No, no, I'd like. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what how to answer it. I think, you know... I don't want you to be any different, Mark. I'm just saying, you know, that that's a great thing to have someone that's yeah. sort of not like everyone else in a team. I yeah. think that's maybe something that, when I when I first got in that squad, maybe that's something that they looked at. And some, um, I remember I got a bit of a bollocking off uh, Paul Fabrice one day on that first tour because um, I had my headphones in and I was singing a song while they were trying to get on with practice. Um, and it was sort of like... Right, you've you've come in with a bit of a stiff back. Let's get in the net, see how it is, and stuff like that. And I was there, like sort of taking me time and stuff like that. So that was, you know, to try and impress straight away. I've, you know, I was giving everything I could, and um, let's say I was never going to play. But if if I was a good twelfth man, if I give energy to the group in in around the dressing room, um, if I tried my ass off in the nets and pulled properly at the batters, um, and looked like I was trying to improve my game, because ultimately that's what it's about. I think. There was probably a period in my career where I, where I got injured a lot, where probably for two years... I st- when, was, when was that, Mark? It uh, could have been any one of yeah. the years. Um, I, st- I stood still for a little bit in terms of like my skill level because I was getting injured, trying to come back, getting injured, trying to come back, and then my skill level stayed the same. So around that time of when I first got on the team, I was, all, I was trying to improve because I was, obviously I was backing up the games. And then recently, the last couple of years, again, I've been working on things, trying to get better because, again, it doesn't matter if you're... Jimmy Anderson, he's still trying to get better now, working on things, and he he discusses things with me, believe it or not, um, as well to try and improve his improve his game. So I think if you if you're not trying to get better, then um, you quickly are left behind by others. So I in 2019, I had not I had not met you, but I, someone rang up and said I've got a ticket for the Cricket World Cup final. Oh no, man! It, it was good. It was you, you look. 
You were there, right? Yeah, I, I was, get you were there. Yeah. I get you behind the picture. Yeah. You did not contribute to I, us winning the World Cup. We, we lifted you that day. My God, you needed it. Uh, <laughs> if we hadn't sung Sweet Caroline so lustily, <laughs> that super over would have been an absolute washout. Uh, it really, it, it really was. No, I'm being incredibly excited. So a friend rang me up and the ticket, I'm not saying it was a cheap ticket. It cost... 29 and a half hours of childcare, but I, it was that, well, what 29 and a half hours of childcare costs, not what I've charged for. I do not, I do, I do not do childcare. This is not, I can't, uh, uh, that's not, not something I offer. But I, I, I went and it was an amazing day, but also a nerve wracking day. Got the whole tournament, the build up, the kind of that sort of presumably quite unhelpful, this is destiny kind of narrative. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel on the morning of a day like that? And then once it actually begins, you're out, you're fielding New Zealand batting. What, what is going through your head at those different stages? Uh, so the start of the day, um, I remember the day before, everyone else felt horrendous, but I didn't actually feel that bad. I remember thinking, I don't know, like I was waiting for that feeling of, this is, like, I'm going to be super nervous, or I'm, I'm going to feel it. It just never came until we were taking catches in the morning of the game where the toss was just to be about, and they delayed the toss because there was a bit of weather around, and it was at that moment where it sort of knocked out my sink. So normally... As a, as a group, obviously, because it's a tournament, you get used to the same timings, the same warm-ups, because you get into a routine of what you do. And because the weather had been around, we had, like, 10, 15 minutes of, shit, what do we do? Yeah. Like, do I take more catches? That might waste some energy. Do I bowl more? That might waste some energy. Should I just try and relax? Now I'm just star- standing in the middle of the field at Lords, like a lost puppy. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, so that was the moment where I first started to feel a bit nervous. Um, and then during the game, I was so hyped up for my first spell that I, I bowled terribly. I cannot, every time I've watched it back, I fast forward that bit. Cause I bowled, <laughs> like I've, I watched it once. I was screaming at the TV. What are you doing, man? Just hit the top of the off stump and bowling bouncers, slower balls, half volleys. But I was just so hyped up because I didn't bowl the 14th over and my first ball was a wide, it swung with the white ball. I'm thinking, well, that doesn't normally happen. So the next ball, I'm going to have to go straight out because it'll swing. I get clipped. All of a sudden, I've gone for three or four my first, with one ball because my first ball's a wide. I'm thinking, right, I've got to claw this back. <laughs> so like, it was, I was just too, I tried too hard that first yeah. bid because it was the World Cup final. Um, but then the first ball of my next spell, when I was into the game, I'd bowled, I'd fielded, I was into the game, I was just more relaxed. The first ball, my next ball, I come back on, I get a wicked first ball. So I get Ross Taylor or LB, um, and I just feel normal again. And I was a bit doubtful, thinking, oh, have we let them get a few too many on that wicket? Like, it's, it's, moving, it's moved around a little bit. Um, I, was, I, was, I mean, I remember asking Joss, and Joss was like, nah, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. And then we got in the dressing room, and Mogi, Mogi did his typical, like, 10 to 20 seconds speech to the group. Right, lads, listen up. Um, Pass score. We get two partnerships. We chase us down easy. Back yourself. And that's it. And then we go off for food. Uh, <laughs> or bowlers get... Like, I hide my leg in an ice bucket. Chris Wilkes getting his strapman cut off. Joffre's fallen asleep. Um, so that was the general... That, that was it. Um, we, everybody knows that game plans... We've built up to this moment in the tournament. You say everyone knows your game plan. When you as a batting unit, everybody knew that game plan. It would would drill it. Would be the best team for four years. There's no yeah. way that it was changing for the World Cup final. It was Jiroi was going to play attacking. Johnny Best was going to play attacking. That's the way we're going to play. We're going to take them on. Um, we talked about smart cricket, and that's what Trevor talked about in the World Cup final. So Mogi said that. Then Trevor comes in and says, "Right, smart cricket though, smart. So not just trying to hit every ball for four or six. Like when we get a good pitch." It's like, here we go, like, they're going to hit every ball at the park here. Gosh, it all sounds a bit serious at times, Mark. I think you guys mm. need to sort of loosen up slightly. Like, it's a stressful <laughs> environment they've created. But like, that, that's, like you're saying, stressful. The day was up and down. It sounds unbelievably stressful. To it, I was up and down the whole time, though. Like, when, you, when you're confident, like you said to me before we come on here, like, I was like, um, I'm a bit nervous for the podcast side of things, but more the q and I'm looking forward to it, but the podcast, I'm a bit nervous, aren't I? Like, yeah. to actually do something where you're a bit out of your comfort zone. Um but in that, you might think World Cup final, everyone's bound to be nervous. We were a bit nervous, but everyone knows their plans and, and their cricket. Like, if I had to bowl in front of everybody here, I wouldn't, I would just bowl. I wouldn't think, oh, God, I'm, I've, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Come on, Mark, this is Monmouth. I need to so, prove myself to these people. So, like, JS knows his game plan. 
everybody knows what they're going to try and you do. You're saying keep everyone knows their game plan, but you came into bat with one ball remaining. You were at the non-striker's end. And it's ramped up because it's like... And what, and, what, and what did Owen Morgan say to you as you were going out to bat? Are you clear what you're going to do? And what did you say? Yep. And what were you meant to do? Fucking no idea. I watched it back the other day. You're running. You're. So, I mean, you're so far away. You're about three or four sort of wickets away. You've got on more protective wear. Well, than I went. The, I, the reason I went three or four wickets away is not to slip. So I went on a wicket that was a bit more um, covered. Because um, I thought, well, if I slip, imagine I slip when I was turning. So I've gone from that to coming out of bat where I should have took me time, but I ran out thinking I need to get warm. So if I'm warm, I'll run quicker. So I sprinted out with full batting kit on, which I obviously didn't need. <laughs> I've tried to speak to Stokesy. I said something stupid at the time, like, um, how are you feeling, mate? Or I don't know, something stupid. But obviously, he was like glazed over and he didn't say much back. So I just said, Whatever happens, mate, I'm just going to run. That's all I said. And he just ignored us the whole time, <laughs> which, of course, he would when like he was in the zone. Um, and then I remember the first thing that came through my mind at the non-strikers was, don't get man-cutted. So make sure that your bat is in when bold bowls, then run as hard as you can. But Stokes, he had timed it that well. I mean, he spoke really well about what he was trying to do. He was trying to get it just to the right of mid-off, um, mid-wicket, just to the left of long-on into that gap, but he hit it so crisp to, to long on that I was never going to get back, no matter, um, you know, if I was using Bolt, I didn't even think he would have gotten back there, so it's just one of them things where... And then you're lying on your back going, we're going to a super over, whatever the hell one of those yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, again, there's a lovely picture I've got in the house of me, sort of my arm around Stokes, as if I'm going, tough luck, lad, when he's just like, <laughs> sort of got England out the, out the shit and got went, uh, you know, at least a super <laughs> over, like, oh, good on you, mate, <laughs> like... Um, but fielding in the super over, that must be six. Well, that was, was a wide as well. Of course you didn't. I, t- I had to tell James Vince to go on. It'd be like, it'd be like you being the top man saying, no, on your gun, pal. Well, super over. I would have been, I would have been very, you know, G'd up for the occasion. Where would Especially, you put yourself? I would have, um, back of the Warner stand, probably. <laughs> Quite near the toilets in the bar. Mm. Um, yeah, of course, we sang Sweet Caroline. That turned everything around. I think that's been well documented. Mm. Uh, and then suddenly there you are. You've got to go back to Washington, where it all began. You yep. got the World Cup trophy. Yeah, I took the trophy out. It was lovely. Um, so my old coach, I mean, I remember during the, before the semi-final, I did some work with him, actually. I went back to my home club with my home coach, who, uh, Stevie Williams. I must have been nine or ten when I first started working with him. Um, at Ashton and, and I still went back and, and did a little session with him and um, he says the same sort of stuff to us and at the, at the end it, to allow myself to bring the trophy back to him to my home club to see all the players I played with my family and friends was um, amazing Well ladies and gentlemen World Cup winner Monmouth visitor Mr Mark Wood Thank you very much. Middle Please Umpire is proud to be sponsored by Step One Underwear, the UK's choice for comfortable, breathable and no-chafe boxers. Step One believes great achievements start with getting the basics right. So delivering maximum comfort while you're compiling your century or coming in for your third spell of the day is all important. Step One's stylish boxers are worn by elite cricketers and sports people the world over. But why do they wear them? Well, they completely eliminate chafing with their ultra-glide panels, which prevent your thighs from rubbing together. So get rid of the baby powders, lotions, or whatever other remedy you use. They have got your thighs covered. Not only that, they're ethically made, sourced from sustainably grown organic bamboo, making them super soft, antibacterial, and breathable, keeping your, and I can't believe I'm saying this, meat and two veg dry all day, whether you're on the pitch or going about your other everyday shenanigans. It's not just gentlemen who get to enjoy the comfort of Step 1, they have a women's boxer range as well. Step 1 are so confident that you'll love them that there's a 30-day money-back guarantee on your first purchase. If you don't like your first pair, for whatever reason, they will give you a full refund and you get to keep the pants. So you can try them out completely risk-free. Best of all, for a limited time, listeners of Middle Please Umpire, that's you, can get a whopping 30% off the entire range. Just head to step1.life and enter the code MP30 at checkout. 
See what the fuss is all about and make Step 1 an essential part of your daily chafe and sweat-free living. Step 1. Get some. William Hill's Safer Gambling Tools helps you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Mid-podcast, let's have a photo. That's good. Is that what you're meant to do with these things? Yeah, yeah, it's just about, uh, just, just watch me, it's about looking natural. Straight, <laughs> straight in the wank bank, that is... Quite a brave, quite a brave opening remark, sir. Very good. I had no idea. Uh, extra. <laughs> that is the first uh, first use of the phrase "wank back" on this uh, on this podcast, and um, I dare say you've started an avalanche. Um, uh, now, what we can do? I've got. I'm going to tell you now, Mark. We always on this show we do uh, what's called Woody's Super Over. Now, I've I've prepared some. I'm going. I'm going to not now, but I'm going. I'm going to. But I'm going to need someone in the audience to do 90 seconds uh, of timing. We've never done this before, which is reading out letters to an audience. This is the sort of thing they do at sort of worthy places like the National Theatre. This is the mailbag. This is the mailbag, yeah. Uh, now we ask... God, there's some long letters here. Um, so this... Christ. Lollipop, lollipop. Have they cut my arm off? Right, so we ask for various things. We always ask people that... That is... Uh, right, let's go for it. I think I read these blind, so let's see what happens. Okay, so this one, uh, this is uh, an e- uh, a letter about a- another unfortunate injury from... This is uh, from Richard Sheldon. Uh, Greetings, gentlemen, uh, he says. That's quite a formal... Uh, yes, that's the opposite of an emoji. I accept that's very grown up. Uh, for many years, in the late 80s and early 90s, I enjoyed our Friday night 20-over matches in Sheffield, long before T20 was a twinkle in the world's eye. We were a team of the usual village regulars of teachers, builders and doctors who didn't take our game too seriously and always ended matches with a trip to the pub, followed by fish and chips. We played on the local rec and had our own dog turd monitor. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Complete with his official pooper scooper. Um, If Lord's has a slight slope, that was nothing compared to our ground's 25... Uh, degree incline. Uh, talk about home conditions being an advantage. One evening, our strike bowler, Jeff, arrived to tell us that earlier in the day he'd undergone the unkindness cut of all, but he was ready to. Oh dear! Uh, but <laughs> he was ready to run in and keen to turn his arm, as he was in no pain whatsoever. What could possibly go wrong? His first couple of balls went well, as it were, but. <laughs> As Jeff ran to send down the next delivery, the anaesthetic block vanished. <laughs> As if a switch had been turned on, and poor Jeff fell to the ground, clutching what was left of his manhood and screaming in pain. At least the bruising was impressive, and it lasted most of the season. <laughs> oh, well, that is a, a gloriously brutal injury. Uh, <laughs> That is, that is unbelievably committed to your club side. It's only a little injury, only a little operation. Um, this, here we go. This is uh, part of our spotting cricketers. It started with petrol stations after um, an anecdote that Mark loves about the time I once saw Joe Root at the uh, uh, the Euro garage uh, back that way on the four four nine. This letter is about cricketers and greengrocers sent in by Adam Solomons. In the mid-90s, I played cricket for Old Merchant Tailors in the Thames Valley League. It was the kind of level where a number of sides had an ex-first-class cricketer in their ranks. One Saturday, our chairman rocked up and told us at the tea break that he'd signed Alan Lamb for five games. The Alan Lamb, who had only recently departed the Test Arena and retired from North Ants. The Alan Lamb that took Bruce Reid apart in that memorable final over at the SCG. Needless to say, we were beyond excited about having Lammy in our ranks for the following five weekends. The first game arrived and Alan turned up in his North Ants kit. He stood at slip for the duration of the first innings as we all tried to make small talk with him with limited success. At tea, he was sitting on his own, so me and my middle-order partner, nicknamed Brando, wandered over to sit with him. Within seconds, he was calling us Fonz and Junior Fonz on account of our crisp turned-up collars, as was the fashion in those days, and we hit it off. Lammy scored 12 in the game, which we put down to rustiness. The following week, we were away to High Wycombe, who had West Indies test star Keith Arthurton in their ranks. Bloody hell. On a sunny day, we won the toss and chose to bat. The batting order saw Brando at four, Lammy at five, and me at six. We lost an early wicket, but instead of padding up, Lammy asked me if I fancied a stroll to the local shops on the high street to grab some food. Since this was Alan Lamb, of course, I said yes, but was also wondering whether he should be padding up based on the one brings two mantra. He didn't seem bothered, however. We ended up at the local greengrocers, bought some grapes and bananas and sauntered slowly back to the ground. Just as we arrived, the second wicket went down and Brando headed out to bat. Even then, Lammy was in no hurry to strap his pads on and seemed more interested in his bag of grapes. 
Being the junior partner, I followed his lead. Unfortunately, what happened next wasn't quite what we'd planned. Brando was out within a few balls, so Lammy scrambled to find his gear and head out to the middle. I remained relaxed as I was following a man who had 4,656 test runs and 14 centuries to his name, so there was nothing to worry about. That confidence was shattered as Lammy made a two-ball duck. (laughs) Before I'd had the chance to get my thigh pad in place, I was due out in the middle. I rushed out, took guard, and three balls later, I was plumb LBW. As I trudged back to the pavilion, Lammy piped up, it's a bit soft, but in hindsight, it was hard to tell whether he meant his fruit or the wicket. (laughs) We managed to salvage a respectable 198 and we took a couple of early high-wicket wickets, but Arthurton strode out in his trademark white floppy hat and caressed the ball to all areas of the ground. By now, heads were down and Lammy had retreated to the third-man boundary. Turns out he'd gone down there to make a few calls on his mobile phone. (laughs) And if memory serves me, he also dropped a catch. In the end, we lost comfortably with Arthurton reaching 92 not out while Lammy didn't make a score of note in his short spell as our teammate. So the moral of the story is that it may be better to meet your cricketing heroes in the greengrocers than out in the middle, but spending time with such a lovely guy on and off the field was something that will never be forgotten. Uh, <laughs> poor old Alan Lamb. Uh, this, uh, uh, this, well, this uh, letter, it says, uh, Miles Jupp's cursed shirt, uh, which has been sent in by a gentleman called Mike Maguire. Um, LAUGHTER um, I have had the good fortune of captaining Miles in two games for Monmouth Third. Here we go, here we go. <laughs> in one game against Bridge End Town 4th 11, I was busy running around setting the ground up and, uh, all right, uh, that's what it says here, and uh, making sure everyone had everything they needed, but completely forgot I hadn't sorted myself out and had left my and had left my kit at home. In my embarrassment, I had to ask my teammates if they'd spare whites. After everyone had finished laughing, I managed to get trousers, but no top. <laughs> and, <laughs> extraordinary sight that would have been. Uh, <laughs> well, at least he's wearing the correct trousers. Uh, until Miles stepped in and gave me his spare one. It was his Actors 11 2015 shirt, which I was grateful for. He then casually mentioned it was the shirt he was wearing when he was knocked out trying to take a catch. <laughs> What could possibly go wrong? Well, we won the toss, so I opted to bat first. I took up my post as umpire while Miles and Barry Jones opened the batting. Fourth ball of the innings, Miles strikes a wonderful drive through the covers for four. Into the... Oh, I'm going to read that bit again. Um, fourth ball of the innings, Miles strikes a wonderful drive through the covers for four. Well, I think I could read that several times. Uh, it's, mar- it's a wonderful sentence. Um, into the long grass around the tree on the boundary. After searching for it for a while, we had to declare a lost ball. As captain and chairman, all I was thinking about was, bloody hell, Miles, do you know how much those balls cost? <laughs> a new ball was called into action without an over being bowled. Soon after, I gave Shane Cleet, ex-Zimbabwean first-class cricketer, out LBW. After much thought, hindsight has told me it had come off his glove. Or was it Shane? So my umpiring didn't go too well either. After that, I was out for a duck. And when trudging off the pitch, Miles mentioned, oh, by the way, I think that shirt is cursed. <laughs> I think he might be right. Thank you very much indeed, Mike McGuire! Uh. Okay, here we go. There was uh, more cricketer spotting. This is from Karen Easton. Welcome back. You have been missed and normality resumes on a Thursday. Thank God. I haven't spotted a cricketer at a petrol station, but I have spotted a certain 95-mile-an-hour fast bowler. World Cup winner, Ashes extraordinaire, and Mr. Anaesthetic himself, Mark Wood, at Barbados Airport, waiting to catch a flight home. I flew out to Barbados for my 50th birthday with the wonderful Barmy Army, hoping to see Mark Bowl in the second test, thinking it would be fabulous. <laughs> God, a lot of people have made that mistake. Uh, <laughs> thinking, <laughs> thinking it would be fabulous to see him get some wickets and sing along to his song. But like I always say, with my luck, if I was in a marching band, I would be the one with the piano. <laughs> it was... <laughs> It was not destined to happen. So imagine my surprise while waiting at the airport to catch my flight. I happened to look up and see Mark strolling through to catch his plane home. Even though I didn't get to see him bowl, it still made my trip all the more worthwhile just grabbing a fleeting glance. Thanks for a great podcast. If it wasn't for you guys and your wonderful interview with Deco, this trip would never have taken place. Yours, hoping one day to see Mark Wood bowl. Uh, (laughs) Thank you you very much indeed. Uh, And yes, uh, people listening, uh, uh, do please keep sending letters in. Uh, We love them very much. Uh, There's various open categories now. Following my shirt, uh, any cursed kit or lucky or unlucky superstitions, uh, cricketers spotted in petrol stations, greengrocers while padding up, anywhere else, umpiring incidents, best or worst games, or stories from tours. Uh, now, Mark, I'm going to do this quite quickly. We're going to do our uh, middle, what's it called? Um, 
Super over. Mark Wood's super over. Uh, now, you usually ask people uh, 90 seconds. Uh, Come on, then. Hit me. Wank bank, have you got it? Have you got a stop? <laughs> yeah. It's good to have a nickname, isn't it? It's good. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't see it. I can't see it lasting, can it? I mean, I mean, what what stays for long on the internet, eh? Um, there we go. <laughs> it's good. It's going to be fun. <laughs> okay, Mark. These are now. You haven't heard these questions before. Come on, uh, hit me. Okay. Now this is right. Here we go. 90 seconds. Have you got... Is that all right? Do you mind? Oh, it's sorry. on it, man. It's on it, man. It's on it. No, it's on it. Okay, you, you relax. You, you've clearly got other things to think about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <so. laughs> okay, yeah. I'll go. Brisket or shin? Brisket. Dog or cat? Dog. Worst roommate for England? Uh, best or... Flip-flops or jelly sandals? Flip-flops. Name five types of apple? Bramley. <laughs> Uh, green, red. <laughs> <laughs> Cock. <laughs> Cooking. Very good. Right. Okay. Red and green. Uh, name four franchises in the hundred. Uh, Welsh Fire, Northern Superchargers, London Spirit, Oval, Invincibles. Uh, name their accompanying crisps. <laughs> Tyrrells, Skips. Uh, McCoy's and <laughs> Pombaz. Yeah, I think I don't think they spent enough promoting that contest. Right? Um, <laughs> would you rather have uh, how many? Oh my god! Right? Would you rather have oven gloves for ears or washing up gloves for nipples? Uh, washing up gloves for nipples. Sensible choice. Um, <laughs> would you rather have a bath in custard or a shower in gravy? Oh, gravy. <laughs> um, say the word gravy as if you're a town crier. Hear ye, hear ye, gravy, gravy. <laughs> that folk, time's up. Very much. That was a super. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, I would like this episode's title to be Gravy Gravy, uh, Nathan. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much indeed for our sound engineer as well, and Nathan, who made this happen. This is Leon and Nathan. Uh, we'll be back in a bit for more words! I hope you enjoyed that start to the new series. Uh, we will try to get episodes to you as regularly as possible over the coming weeks, so make sure that you subscribe and also follow our Twitter and Instagram, and you won't miss when they appear. Uh, we're back next week with a great guest direct from the IPL, so do join us then. Thanks for listening. Oh, should be taken and is taken. Brilliant from Markwood. What a spell this has been. Every day, William Hill has advanced odds on cricket matches. That includes flash odds ahead of the big games, plus hashtag your odds and much more. Stake limits apply. Odds may fluctuate. Visit WilliamHill.com 18 plus. Please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.